ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so today's chapter we're on the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Alam tara ila alladhina yaz'umuna annahum amanu bima unzila ilayk wa ma unzila min qablik yuriduna an yatahakamu ila at-taghut wa qad umiru an yakfuru bih wa yuridu ash-shaytanu an yudhillahum dalalan ba'ida in this ayah it is mentioned, have you seen those who claim that they believe in what was revealed to you and to those before you? And yet they want to take their rulings and judgments, their disputes to the ta'ut. And they have been commanded to disbelieve in those ta'wa'ghit. And the shaitan wants to misguide them a severe and far misguidance. This particular chapter is similar to the previous chapter in terms of the fact that it is discussing the issue of referring your affairs to other than Allah in taking rulings. Previously it was about the halal and the haram. Taking the halal and the haram from the people, from creation in opposition to what Allah has made halal and what Allah has made haram. This particular chapter, it is referring to the issue of judgments. That you have some dispute, you have some issue that has arisen between two people or more, and that you take that affair back to these tawaghit, these others, Besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you seek your judgment from the opposers to the rulings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here, al-Shaykh al-Fawzan, he says, هذا الباب يخص التحاكم في الخصومات خاصة This chapter is particularly regarding the judgments that are made in disputes. Whereas the previous chapter was regarding the halal and the haram. So when the author is talking about this chapter now, يعني ما جاء في تفسير هذه الآيات مما ذكره أهل العلم في تفسيرها مما يدل دلالة واضحة على أن التحاكم إلى ما أنزل الله من التوحيد والعبادة وأن التحاكم إلى غيره شرك بالله عز وجل وكفر به. This chapter indicates that your rulings and the judgments that you take, they are from what Allah has revealed in the revelation. The rulings, they are not to be taken from others besides Allah in rulings that are in opposition to what has been mentioned in the revelation. And the one who does that, then he has committed shirk and kufr. لِأَنَّ الْحُكْمَ لِلَّهِ وَحْدَهِ Because that ruling, that jurisdiction is to Allah alone. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Qur'an, أَلَا لَهُ الْخَلْقُ وَالْأَمْرُ 
That indeed, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all of the creation and the amr, the amr, the command in terms of what to command and what to prohibit, what to make halal, what to make haram, these affairs all return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The rulings on what to do in this situation, in that situation. The rulings on the affairs, they are from Allah. The legislation is from Allah. So if somebody has a dispute on an affair, and they return back to something other than the legislation of Allah to decide what the correct understanding in this dispute should be, they go to some other understanding, they go to some other legislation of their own, then that understanding of theirs, which is in opposition to what Allah has revealed, it is incorrect for them to use that as the basis of their judgment, as the basis of their solving of this dispute. That dispute or whatever the conflict may be, must be returned back to the legislation of Allah, to determine who is right and who is wrong, and what is allowed and what is not. فَاتَّحَاكُمْ إِلَى مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهِ دَاخِلٌ فِي التَّوْحِيدِ So taking this judgment, returning back to the legislation of Allah to solve these affairs and disputes, that is a part of Tawheed, it is within the affair of Tawheed. And as for returning to others for these judgments and for these rulings, and outside of the legislation of Allah, then that is from the forms of shirk. So then the Shaykh says, فَالَّذِي يَقْصُرْ هَذَا التَّحَاكُمْ إِلَى الْكِتَابِ وَالسُنَّةِ عَلَى الْمَحَاكِمَ شَرْعِيَّةِ فَقَطْ غَالِطْ لِأَنَّ الْمُرَادِ التَّحَاكُمْ فِي جَمِيعِ الْأُمُورِ وَجَمِيعِ الْمُنَازَعَاتِ فِي الْخُصُومَاتِ وَفِي الْحُقُوقِ الْمَالِيَّةِ وَغَيْرِهَا وَفِي أَقْوَالِ الْمُجْتَهِدِينَ وَأَقْوَالِ الْفُقَهَاءِ وفي المناهج الدعوية والمناهج الجماعية لأن الله تعالى يقول وما اختلفتم فيه من شيء شيء نكر في سياق الشرط فتعم كل نزاع وكل خلاف في شيء سواء في الخصومات أو في المذاهب أو في المناهج وفي أقوال الجهمية والمعتزلة والأشاعرة والقدرية So the shaykh says, returning back to the legislation of Allah, it is in all of your affairs. If two people dispute over an issue, they dispute over an issue who is correct and who is wrong, then that dispute to determine what the correct position is, you must return back to the legislation of Allah. You must return back to the Qur'an and the sunnah. In all of your affairs of dispute, whatever the issue may be, return back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah to determine what is the correct position to be taken in this issue. And it is not in only specific issues that you return back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It is in all of your affairs, whether it is in issues of wealth, you have a dispute regarding some financial affair, some dispute which is monetary, then return this dispute back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, 
what is mentioned regarding these affairs, what is mentioned regarding the financial trade, all these types of things are mentioned in the Qur'an and the Sunnah. In the books of fiqh, you have the chapters regarding business, the chapter of trade, the chapter of buying and selling, what are the Islamic rulings on that? So even some financial dispute, return it back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah to determine what the judgment is in that affair and who has the right to the wealth or the money and who has the right or does not have the right. Similarly, even when it comes to the statements of the scholars, the mujtahideen, those who strive to make an ishtihad in a ruling, we discussed this before, all of the four imams said, with regards to this ijtihad that they make, they strive to deduct or to deduce, to infer a ruling on a particular issue, then they all mentioned a similar statement, that if this inference, this deduction that they have made, this ruling or conclusion that they have come to, if it is in opposition to what the Qur'an and the Sunnah dictates, then abandon the conclusion that they came to, the fatwa that they came to, and follow the clear-cut evidences of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So even in those affairs, you return back to the legislation to determine what is correct and what is not. So the Shaykh says, therefore, لا نتعصب لجماعة أو لحزب أو لمنهج دعوي ونحن نرى أنه مخالف لكتاب الله وسنة رسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم فالدعاء منهم من هو داعي ضلال So we do not blindly follow any particular group or sect or follow any particular methodology blindly. Rather, if we see that such and such, or a group or a person is in opposition to what the Qur'an and the Sunnah has dictated, then that individual is not followed upon blindness in that way. And the Shaykh says, no doubt, out there, there are callers to evil. There are individuals who call to fitna, they call to trials and tribulations and wrongdoing, and their da'wah is based upon something which the da'wah of the salaf was not based upon. So when you see that, you do not follow those people upon that way. يَجِبُ أَنَّنَا نَعْرِفْ هَذَا We have to know this, the Shaykh says, we need to be aware of this. لِأَنَّ بَعْضَ النَّاسِ وَبَعْضَ الْمُنْتَسِبِينَ لِلدَّعْوَةِ يَقْصُرُ هَذَا عَلَى وُجُوبِ التَّحَاقُمِ فِي الْمُنَازَعَاتِ وَالْخُصُومَاتِ لِلْمَحَاكِمِ شَرْعِيَةِ وَيَقُولْ يَجِبُ التَّحْكِيمُ شَرِيَةِ وَنَبْذِ الْقَوَانِينَ نعم يجب هذا ولكن لا يجوز الاقتصار عليه بل لا بد أن يتعدى إلى الأمور الأخرى So the Shaykh says some people they try and say to you that you return back your affairs to the Qur'an and the Sunnah in certain issues. But otherwise, we resolve it ourselves, we use other, uh, other laws and other systems and other uh, jurisdictions and other types of constitutions. That is incorrect. All of your affairs, your jurisdiction that you use, the constitution that you use is the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And then the Shaykh says, كثير من الناس اليوم ينادون بتحكيم الشريعة في المحاكم وهذا حق 
Many people nowadays, the sheikh says, they are saying we need to have the Islamic courts. We need to have the Sharia ruling. Many people, the sheikh says, you hear them shouting this everywhere now, we need to have that. And that is correct, it is good. لَكِنْ هُمْ مُتَنَازِعُونَ وَمُخْتَلِفُونَ فِي مَنَاهِجِهِمْ وَفِي مَذَاهِبِهِمْ وَلَا يُرِيدُونَ يُحَكِّمُ شَرِيعًا فِي هَذِي الْأُمُورِ But those people themselves who scream and shout that we need to have Islamic courts and we need to have the Sharia rulings, those people who are shouting and screaming for those types of things, even though in essence, yes, having the Islamic ruling is what is desired, yet those people who are calling for it and screaming and shouting for it, in reality, they themselves are upon a number of differing methodologies. All types of people of innovation. And that is the essence of Ikhwan al-Muslimin. The Ikhwan al-Muslimin, those individuals, they have principles that apparently unite them. From amongst those principles that apparently unite them, and in reality they are not united, is the principle that will turn a blind eye to the things that we differ on. And we'll just unite together and get together on the things we agree upon. Whatever we agree upon, we'll make that the common ground and we'll unite upon that. The things that we differ on, we'll keep quiet and turn a blind eye to those affairs. You have your opinion, I have mine. And in that way, they disregard issues of aqidah, issues of tawheed even. They'll disregard all of that. They'll say, turn a blind eye to those affairs. You have your opinion, I have mine. As long as we have some common ground, we're working towards something common, then we can do that and work together. So they say, as long as all of us are working together to go and demonstrate outside the embassies, all of us are working together to vote together in the university elections, then it is irrelevant if you have the aqidah of some group of deviation. To the extent it is irrelevant if you have the aqidah of the Shia and you believe that Abu Bakr and Umar and the Sahaba or Kuffar, that to them is irrelevant. As long as you work with them on their common ground of politics and voting and demonstrations and screaming and shouting on the streets. So here, these people who call for that type of thing, the Shaykh says in reality, look at them, they are not truthful to their call. They are in reality only fitna in of themselves because they are not truly returning their affairs back to the legislation as they should anyway. They are there shouting saying we need the Islamic legislation, we need the Sharia uh, rules and laws to be implemented in the country. Yet they themselves when it comes to their aqidah, it comes to their methodology, have differences and different beliefs amongst themselves and they turn a blind eye to that. If they had returned that back to the legislation of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, then from the very beginning, they would have realized that what they need to rectify is their aqidah. That they need to be united upon one true, correct aqidah. How can it be that you are upon different aqidah to each other, yet you wish to be united? There is no unity in that. So they say, Basically, these Ikhwanis and their likes. Leave the people to be. Let everybody be upon what they are upon. Don't say anything about their aqidah. 
Don't start talking about the aqidah of people. Don't start pulling people up on their aqidah. Leave those things alone. Don't open up those topics with the people. لا تتعرضوا لمصطلحاتهم Don't say anything to their particular beliefs, their terminologies, their speech that they have regarding aqidah. Don't open up these types of topics with them. لا تتعرضوا لمناهجهم Don't open up the issues of their manhaj, their methodology, their practice of the religion. Don't open up any of these things. أتركوهم على ما هم عليه Leave them upon what they are upon. Forget those things. Let's just try and unite upon the common ground that we have. And that's why the likes of the Ikhwan al-Muslimin, the groups of deviation, often you will see them uniting upon the lowest common ground they can find. Because that is all that unites them. So they will say, don't we all say la ilaha illallah? Doesn't that sect of Muslims say la ilaha illallah? To the extent they'll say to you, the khawarij, the khawarij, ISIS and these deviants of our time now, they'll say they are Muslims too though, aren't they? They say la ilaha illallah as well, don't they? So they try to bring to you this lowest common ground to try to cause you to empathize and to follow that misguidance then. But the reality is, with the likes of the Khawarij and ISIS and these people as an example, many of the scholars have declared them to be disbelievers anyway. Khawarij, some of the scholars from olden times to our time, to our time included, modern day scholars, they hold the Khawarij to be disbelievers anyway. So, with regards to these people of deviation, they attempt to unite the people and turn a blind eye to each other's deviation, as long as they can find some common ground. And that is what the scholars of the past, they used to mention. The people of deviation will come together upon some common ground they can find, all of them together upon that common ground, so they can attack Ahlus Sunnah. So they can bring out their deviations against Ahlus Sunnah. So here Allah says, Alam tara, do you not see? And this is a form of rejection. It is a form of rebuke. Do you not see? Ilaladina is umun to those who claim that they believe in what was being revealed to you. Have you seen those Allah says, the ones who claim that they believe in what was revealed to you and to those who came before you? Yuriduna anitahakamu ilatahut. They want to take their affairs of judgment to the Taghut. They don't want to refer back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the legislation. They want to take their affairs back to other than that. So the one who claims to be upon Iman, but when it comes to these rulings, doesn't refer it back. Doesn't refer it back to the rulings of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. Then that doesn't fit in together in conformity or harmony. There is no harmony between that statement, an individual saying he is upon Iman, but then not returning his affairs back in judgment to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So when Allah says that they want to follow the Taghut, what is Taghut? Taghut 
It is derived from the Arabic word Tughyan. Tughyan is transgression of the boundaries. Anything which goes beyond the boundaries, you have the boundaries. Anything which goes out of those boundaries, transgresses beyond those boundaries, then that is linguistically Tughyan. Transgression beyond the boundaries. Mujawazatul Had. Al-Imam Ibn Al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala mentioned, At-Taghut, the Taghut is, ma tajawaza bihi al-abdu haddah, when a servant goes beyond the boundaries, with regards to what? Min ma'abudin, in terms of the one that he worships, aw matbu'in, in terms of the one that he follows, أو مطاعن, the one that he obeys في معصية الله. He obeys these others in creation in disobedience to Allah. Disobeys Allah and obeys these others in creation. And there are many forms of taghut. Many forms of those items or entities that have transgressed the boundaries. Gone beyond what Allah legislated. Gone outside of what Allah legislated. And there are five overall at the head of them. The head of all of the tawagheet, the head of all of those that have gone beyond the boundaries of Allah, is Iblis himself. Iblis is at the head of the taghut. Secondly, a person who is worshipped by others and is pleased with it. A person who is worshipped by others, they worship him and he is pleased with it. Thirdly, somebody who actually actively calls the people to worship him. That is a taghut also. The second category was when people worship someone and that person is pleased that he's being worshipped. Taghut. Third category, somebody who goes out there actively calling the people to worship him. Taghut. Fourth category, the one who rules by what? Allah has not revealed. Rules by other than what Allah has revealed. And fifth category, the one who claims knowledge of the unseen. And that we've discussed previously in the chapters regarding magic and sorcerers and fortune tellers. The one who claims knowledge of the unseen is Taghut. So these five, the Iblis, and the one who is worshipped and pleased he's being worshipped. And the one who calls the people to worship him. And the one who rules by what Allah has not revealed. And the one who claims to have knowledge of the unseen. They are from the heads of the Tawagheet. As for someone who is worshipped, but is not pleased that the people are worshipping him, then that is not Taghut. For example, Isa alayhi salam. Isa alayhi salam, Jesus, the people worship him. But he did not call to that and neither is he pleased with that. Hence, he does not fall into this classification of Taghut. It is mentioned that on the day of judgment it will be said to Isa alayhi salam, did you tell the people to worship you? In the Quran it says it. 
Did you say to the people, take me and my mother as two gods besides Allah? He will say, Subhanak, you are free from any deficiency or imperfection. How could I say that? I would not say anything other than what I have been commanded to say. And that is to say Tawheed to them. To tell them to worship Allah alone. So Isa alayhi salam will declare his innocence of this trinity and this worship of his and declaring him to be the son of God and declaring him to be God himself all of that will be rejected by Isa salam himself so these five here we have mentioned they are the ones who, who are, are the tawagheet they are the forms of the tawagheet those who have gone beyond the boundaries that Allah has set down The ayah then goes on to say that Allah actually commanded them to disbelieve in those tawaghit. They were commanded to disbelieve in those false deities. Disbelieve in those false entities that they were referring their judgments back to. And that is similar to the statement of Allah, فَمَنْ يَكْفُرْ بِالطَّاغُوتِ وَيُؤْمِنْ بِاللَّهِ فَقَدْ اسْتَمْسَكَ بِالْعُرْوَةِ الْوُفْقَةِ لَنْفِصَامَ لَهَا Whomsoever disbelieves in the taghut, all of those false deities, and believes in Allah, then that is the one who has taken the firm grip, the firm handhold, meaning the handhold of iman. فَالْإِيمَانُ بِاللَّهِ لَا يَصِحُ إِلَّا بَعْدَ الْكُفْرِ بِالطَّاغُوتِ Iman in Allah cannot be correct until you have disbelieved in all of the false deities. You cannot still be believing in the false deities and claim Iman. So disbelieving in all of the false deities is a pillar for the correctness of your Iman. If a person still believes in the false deities, he cannot be upon Iman. To be upon Iman, one of the pillars is to disbelieve in all of the false deities. It cannot be the case that a person says he has Iman and he has belief in the false deities, in the Tawaghit. That combination cannot occur. Because that would be a combination between two things which are contradictory. Then in the end of the ayah it mentioned وَيُرِيدُ الشَّيْطَانُ أَنْ يُضِلَّهُمْ ضَلَالًا بَعِيدًا The shaytan, he wants to misguide them, a great misguidance. He wants to misguide them, a great misguidance. And this is what the scholars mentioned, that when the shaytan attempts to misguide the people, he does not just wish to misguide them slightly. The objective of the shaitan is to misguide the people greatly. To misguide them to the greatest level that he is able. And as some of the scholars said, in regards to the narrations that speak about the upright pathway, like the hadith when the Prophet ﷺ it's mentioned he drew the line in the sand. 
خط لنا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم خطا مستقيما وقال هذا صراط الله when Allah, when the Prophet ﷺ drew the line in the sand and he said to them, this is the path of Allah. And in the Quran, وَأَنَّ هَذَا سَبِيلِ The ayat regarding the straight path that Allah mentioned. The ayat in the Quran that speak about the straight path. Following that straight path, following the pathway of the Prophet ﷺ, and not following the divergent and distorted pathways. When the scholars spoke about these narrations and ayat, they mentioned that the shaitan, he desires to misguide you away from them to such a level that you are so far away from that straight path that if you attempt to look back, you can no longer see where that straight path is. He wishes to misguide you to that extent, so far away from that straight path, that if you do attempt to look back and find that straight path, you cannot. Whereas if somebody was only misguided slightly, away from the straight path, then when you look back, you can still find that straight path. And you can still return to that straight path. But as for an individual who is far misguided away from that straight path, far misguided away from the path of Allah, then when he attempts to return, he will not be able to find where to return. So the desire of the shaitan is to misguide you, a great misguidance away from that straight path, in order that you are no longer able to find your way back to it. Dalalam ba'ida, a far great misguidance from the truth. Yub'iduhum ghayat al He wishes to distance them, the pinnacle, the greatest, that he can distance you. فَلَا يَكْفِهِ أَنَّهُ يَتْرُكُمْ فِي مَكَانٍ قَرِيبٍ it is not enough for the shaitan. It doesn't want to just leave you misguided, but somewhere still close to the truth. Because if they are still close by, they've been misguided, but they are still close by, they may manage to return to the truth. He distances them at a great distance from the truth, such that they can no longer see the truth. هَذَا الَّذِي يُرِيدُهُ الشَّيْطَانِ This is what the shaitan he desires. فَهُوَ الَّذِي يُبْعِدُ النَّاسَ عَنْ تَحْكِيمِ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ So he is the one who distances the people from taking the rulings of the Qur'an and the sunnah in the legislation. He is the one who distances the people in... Uh, following the legislation and instead misguides them into following their own legislations, misguides them into following their own rulings away from what the Quran and the Sunnah has ruled in those affairs. Then, there is also the ayah similar to this in the Quran where Allah mentioned, فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِيمَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ 
that they do not believe in reality until they make you the judge in the disputes that they fell into between themselves. ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتِ Then when they return their affair back to you, they return the affair back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, they do not find anything in of themselves, any reluctance in accepting what they have found in the Qur'an and the Sunnah as a judgment in that affair. ثُمَّ لَا يَجِدُوا فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَرَجًا مِمَّا قَضَيْتِ They do not find any reluctance in what you have ruled. وَيُسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا And they submit to the ruling. This is the sign of Ahlul Sunnah. This is the sign of the people of Iman. That their affairs, they return them back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And they accept the rulings of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And when a judgment it comes, then they do not have any opposition to the judgment of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. They do not have any reluctance in accepting it. They are the ones who are upon the reality of Iman. They are the ones who are upon the Iman and have actualized Iman. فَالَّذِي لَا يُحَكِّمُ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةَ رَسُولِهِ لَيْسَ بِمُؤْمِنِ So as for the one who does not rule by the book of Allah and take his judgments from the book of Allah and the sunnah of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then he is not a believer. The one who does not accept the book and the sunnah and is not pleased with it, and he only accepts it for the sake of it, doesn't really want to, isn't really pleased with it, or he only accepts it due to some other objective or some other goal that he wishes to achieve, then that type of person isn't a believer. So here this chapter is explaining so far that the judgments in your affairs must be returned back to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. The rulings are from the legislations of Allah. Not from what you consider to be good or bad and what you judge for yourselves as acceptable or not. Then it is mentioned, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ قَالُوا إِنَّمَا نَحْنُ مُسْلِحُونَ وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ بَعْدَ إِصْلَاحِهَا In the other ayah, Allah said in the Qur'an, When it is said to them, do not cause corruption upon the earth. They say, but we are only rectifying. We're not causing any corruption. We're rectifying. Those munafiqeen, when it is said to them, do not cause corruption upon the earth. They say, but we are only rectifying. We are not causing corruption. So this ayah is mentioned in the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah in the context of the munafiqeen. How were they causing corruption upon the earth? Through their sinning. Through their sinning, they were causing corruption upon the earth. And through their judgments that they were taking outside of the legislation, in reality, they did not accept the legislation. So that was all from the corruption that they were causing and making. 
And also it is mentioned in the other ayah, وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ بَعْدَ إِصْلَاحِهَا Do not cause corruption upon the earth after the rectification of it has come. What is the rectification? Rectification is in obedience to Allah. Rectification is in practicing and implementing the sharia. So when Allah says, do not cause corruption after the rectification has come, the rectification is the sharia of Allah, it is obedience to Allah. The corruption after that is to ignore that sharia, to ignore that legislation and to turn your judgments and your legislations to elsewhere. That is then causing corruption after the rectification it came. The Shaykh mentions regarding sinning also, that sinning, sins, they cause corruption upon the earth. Sinning causes corruption upon the earth. And rectification of the earth can only occur through obedience to Allah. وَلَا صَلَاحَ ard. There is no rectification for the earth. إِلَّا بِطَاعَةِ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَ Except through obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا عِمَارَةَ لِلْأَرْضِ إِلَّا بِطَاعَةِ اللَّهِ And there is no settlement of the earth, no construction of the earth, no building of it upon sound and grounded foundations. Except if the people are upon the obedience to Allah. Otherwise it is not built, it is all destroyed and corrupted. If the people are upon sinning. So when it was said to the munafiqeen, the hypocrites, Abandon this hypocrisy that you are upon. They said, but we are rectifying. We are upon rectification. And this indicates the corruption of their natural disposition. Their natural disposition, naturally in themselves, their characteristics, the way they were, they were characteristics of, dis- of uh, corruption. Whereby they believed that their corruption was what is going to bring rectification. And as for what the believers were upon, the munafiqeen were saying, these believers, they are upon Corruption. The believers are upon corruption. They are upon misguidance. They are upon foolishness. That's what the munafiqeen they used to say. That the believers are upon foolishness. And as for us, we are upon rectification. But this was the incorrect position and understanding that they found themselves in. Similarly, when Allah said, وَلَا تُفْسِدُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ بَعْدَ إِصْلَاحِهَا do not cause corruption in the earth after its rectification has occurred, then that corruption is through sinning. It is through sinning and through shirk, and by ruling by other than the legislation of Allah, after the rectification has occurred, after the prophets and messengers have been sent, the revelation has been sent, the sending of the prophets and messengers and the revelation, that is the rectification of the earth, then after that rectification, they distorted and corrupted it once again through abandoning and neglecting and rejecting the legislations and the prophets and the messengers. In another ayah then, 
Allah mentioned, أَفَحُكْمَ الْجَاهِلِيَّ يَبْغُونَ Is it the ruling of ignorance that they want? Meaning the rulings and the legislations they used to have prior to Islam, prior to the revelation. Their rulings and their ways and their judgments and their laws and their constitutions that they used to have before Islam, before the divine revelation. Their man-made ideas of what is justice. Is that the type of ruling that they want? And we've already said, what did they used to do? Those rulings and legislations they used to have before Islam, they used to go to the fortune tellers. They used to go to the sorcerers. The sorcerers used to be their judges. They used to be the judge and they used to go to them and these fortune tellers and these sorcerers, they were the ones who would judge between the people and give the rulings. So Allah says in the Quran, is that the judgment you want to make? Is that the legislation you want to have? That legislation of ignorance. فَهَؤُلَاءِ الْمُنَافِقُونَ الَّذِينَ ادَّعُوا الْإِسْلَامِ يُرِيدُونَ حُكْمَ الْجَاهِلِيَّ وَلَا يُرِيدُونَ حُكْمَ اللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلَ Those munafiqeen, that's exactly what they wanted. The munafiqeen wanted to rule by those rulings of ignorance. And they did not want to rule by the rule of Allah. That was the reality of the munafiqeen. And Allah has already said in the Quran, وَمَنْ أَحْسَنُ مِنَ اللَّهِ حُكْمًا لِقَوْمٍ يُقِنُونَ Who is better than Allah in that rulership? Who is better than Allah in that legislation? No one. لا أحد أحسن من الله حكمًا Because Allah is the all-knowledgeable, the all-wise. There is nobody who is better than Allah in those rulings and in those judgments. Then there is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar. رضي الله عنهما He says that the messenger of Allah said لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى يكون حتى يكون هواه تبعا لما جئت به None of you is a true believer meaning none of you has complete and perfection of iman until your desires are in line with what I came with in line with the revelation. None of you, your iman is perfected until your desires are in conformity to what the revelation is and what I have come with. The hadith in of itself, as the scholars have said, is weak. This particular narration, as the scholars have mentioned, is weak. However, the meaning of it overall is correct. That is possible sometimes a narration is weak, meaning we cannot affirm that these words, this wording are from the words of the Prophet ﷺ that he said it. We can't affirm that, the hadith is weak. But looking at the words per se as they are, they themselves actually are true. What's being said is actually correct, but we just can't say it is from the Prophet ﷺ. What's being said is correct though. That's why they say sometimes the hadith is weak. But the meaning of it is actually okay. There's nothing wrong with the meaning of what the hadith is saying. But you can't say it's a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ. So here, that's what they say. They say the meaning generally of what's being said is correct. That your desires, they should be in line with the legislation. I.e. you should love what Allah has prescribed upon you. And you should hate the evil and the sins. It cannot be that a believer loves the sinning and the evil, and he hates the obedience. That cannot be the case. 
Rather, a believer should be upon the way where he loves the obedience to Allah and he hates the sins. So the meaning is generally true that your desires, your love should be with what Allah loves and what Allah has revealed and the Quran and the Sunnah. And your hatred should be to those affairs that are in opposition and they are sin and disobedience. Also another point to highlight that these types of narrations where it says, La yu'minu ahadukum. None of you is a believer until you do this or do that. It doesn't mean that you are a kafir until you do this. These types of narrations when they say, No one of you, nobody from amongst you is a believer until you do this or do that. Like, La yu'minu ahadukum hatta yuhibba li akhihi ma yuhibba li nafsi. لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده وولده والناس أجمعين. None of you is a believer until he loves for his brother what he loves for himself. None of you is a believer until I, the Prophet am more beloved to him than himself, his parents, his children, and all the people. Those types of narrations, none of you is a believer until you do this or do that, do not mean that you are a kafir until you do this. What they mean is, none of you is a believer in terms of perfection of belief. That your iman, it is deficient until you do this and do that. So your iman is deficient, it hasn't perfected itself. If you do not love for your brother what you love for yourself. And your iman is deficient, has not perfected itself. If the Prophet ﷺ is not more beloved to you than your own self and the other affairs. So these types of narrations are talking about perfecting your iman. Your iman is not perfected until you do this and you do that. It doesn't mean that you are a kafir until you do this. So the hadith says that none of you is a true believer. Your iman is not perfected until your desires are in accordance to what I have come with. So the meaning generally is that you love what the Prophet ﷺ came with. The revelation that the Prophet ﷺ came with. The sunnah that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. And you hate the oppositions to that, you hate sinning, you hate disobedience, you hate evil. That is the general meaning and that is generally true. But we just can't affirm this as an actual hadith. But the meaning of it generally is correct. You should love the sharia. And your desires should be to obey and to worship and to fulfill the commandments. And your hatred should be against the sinning and the disobedience and the evil. And that is what this final narration is mentioning or the hadith is mentioning with regards to the issue of returning back to the legislation of Allah, and not returning your affairs to outside of the legislation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next narration says, وَقَالَ شَعْبِ كَانَ بَيْنَ رَجُلٍ مِّنَ الْمُنَافِقِينَ وَرَجُلٍ مِّنَ الْيَهُودِ خُسُومًا This narration now talks about a, a story regarding a dispute which occurred between a munafiq, a hypocrite, and a Jewish individual. It's the story regarding a dispute that occurred to, between two individuals, between a munafiq and between a Jew. So the Jewish individual said, let's take the case back to who to judge? To the Prophet ﷺ. The Jewish individual said to the apparently Muslim individual, will take this back to the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ to judge. Why? 
the Jewish individual knew that Prophet Muhammad would never take any bribery. He would never be bribed. He would never rule unjustly. And the munafiq, the hypocrite who was pretending to be Muslim, from the hypocrites, he said to the Jew, no, we'll go to one of the Jewish people. He, the one pretending to be Muslim, he says to the Jewish person, no, we'll go to one of the Jews. And the Jewish person who is actually Jewish, says to him, no, we'll go to Muhammad sallallahu Why was the hypocrite saying we'll go to a Jewish person or we'll go to uh, someone besides the Prophet ﷺ? Because then he was hoping he would be able to bribe the other people. The munafiq knew he would not be able to bribe the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. But he hoped to be able to bribe others. فَاتَّفَقَا أَنْ يَأْتِيَ كَاهِنًا فِي جُهَيْنَا فَيَتَحَاكَمَا In the end they agreed to go to a sorcerer, a fortune teller that he would make the judgment between them. So the ayah was revealed. That ayah we mentioned at the beginning, Alam tara Have you not seen these people who claim to be upon iman in regards to what's been revealed to you, but they take their judgments to others. Here this munafiq, pretending to be a believer, took his judgment, took the ruling that he wanted to this sorcerer and fortune teller. <coughs> also there's another narration which mentions نَزَلَتْ فِي رَجُلَيْنِ اخْتَصَمَا That this ayah, that they claim to believe in the revelation, but instead they go when they have disputes to others besides uh, the, the legislation of Allah and the Messenger, that there were two individuals who had a dispute, so one of them said, that will take our dispute to the Prophet Wasallam. The other one said, no, we'll go to Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf. In the end, they took the affair to Umar ibn al-Khattab. And they mentioned the story to him. فَقَالَ لِلَّذِي لَمْ يَرْضَى بِرَسُولَ So Umar ibn Khattab said to the one who didn't agree to go to the Prophet he wanted to go to Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf instead. He said to him, is that true? You didn't want to take your dispute, this issue that occurred between you two. You didn't want to take it back to the Prophet you wanted to take it back to someone else. And when the person said yes, it is mentioned in the narration, Umar ibn Khattab killed him. Due to that individual rejecting the rule, rejecting the the uh, uh, the legislation of Allah subhanahu wa taala, rejecting the legislation from the Prophet sallallahu and wanting to take it elsewhere. So all of these narrations are highlighting the point that a believer who is upon truthfulness in his iman does not look to go outside of the Qur'an and the Sunnah for his affairs. Does not follow his desires and go and find rulings outside of the legislation to be able to practice his desires. A true believer, he takes the judgments of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. A true believer follows what is mentioned in the legislation in the Sharia, in the rulings and the commandments that have come, and stays away from the prohibitions that have come. And that is the reality of Iman and the reality of Tawheed. The reality of Tawheed is not a person claims to be upon Iman and then wishes to take his disputes to judge them and to rule them in a manner which is not from the legislations of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. But rather that you return to the Qur'an and the Sunnah in those affairs and that you return your disputes back to the legislation of Allah in determining what is correct and what is incorrect. 
So that is the end of that chapter and that's where we'll conclude today. Inshallah ta'ala next week at the same time 8 p.m. We'll begin with the next chapter which is regarding the ruling on the one who rejects the names and attributes of Allah. The ruling upon the one who rejects the names and attributes of Allah. And the connection of that to Tawheed. And that is clear generally because the names and attributes of Allah is an aspect of Tawheed. Tawheed al-Asma'i wa sifat So next week inshallah we'll discuss a little bit about the Tawheed of al-Asma'i wa sifat The names and attributes of Allah and the rulings upon those who reject the names and attributes of Allah. The people of deviation and misguidance and innovation from history, from many uh, a long time ago, from the early times, those who rejected the names and attributes of Allah. So we'll discuss that next week's chapter, inshallah. We'll conclude there for today. Wasallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. If there's any questions, we can quickly take them, otherwise, we'll conclude there. Who was Ka'ab ibn al Ashraf? Who was Ka'ab ibn al Ashraf? Anyone? Did he, did he write poetry about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf, the Sheikh says, Za'imun min zu'ama il-Yahud, wa huwa arabiyun min qabilati al-Tay, lakin kana akhwaluhu min al-Yahud min bani al-Nadir, fatahawwada, wa kana min alad khusum Rasulullah This Ka'ab ibn al-Ashraf was one of the leaders of the Jews. He was Arab in origin, but some of his maternal uncles were Jewish from the tribe of Bani Nulayr. So he became Jewish also, and he was from the greatest of the opponents to the Prophet ﷺ. So this other man wanted to go to him. So when Umar ibn Khattab found out about that, that he refused to go to the Prophet ﷺ and he wanted to go to Ka'b ibn Ashraf, he then took his head. So we'll leave it there then. We'll carry on next week at 8 p.m. insha'Allah.